0: District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to another installment of District of Conservation. Today's episode is largely going to focus on Virginia, the recent election results, and the... Department, our Department of Wildlife Resources, it used to be known as the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries, still taking me time to adjust to saying the new name, but they have signaled support for Sunday hunting on public lands, which is one of the outstanding limitations we have stemming from blue laws from way, way, way back in the day. So I will talk at length about that as well, but I'll... Go into detail and we'll focus largely on Virginia and what the recent election means for gun rights, true conservation, energy policy, and then what we could potentially look forward to with this support from our game agency for Sunday hunting on public lands. But I want to first say thank you to Lindy from University of Texas San Antonio and her fantastic YAF chapter for hosting me on campus last week. It was actually coinciding with election day. I told him I was like, I am missing election day, but I already voted because I love talking about conservation and how it relates to political conservatism. Largely, I focused on Pittman Robertson, the connection between guns and ammunition, excise taxes collected on them, and environmental projects and funding for conservation and just the overlap there. So the speech was pretty well received. I got lots of questions. There was no hostility met. And I think it was probably the largest crowd of students I've spoken to independent of organizations I've previously worked for. So I was really encouraged that every speech I do, and I've done two speeches before at West Virginia University, Ohio State University. Now this UTSA, University of Texas San Antonio, the crowds increasingly become bigger. So this is exciting that there's an interest for this type of topic. And if you're a student group or you're an organization and you really want to explore conservation, conservatism, Pittman Robertson, whatever, just the intersection of the political philosophy, and then just conservation in general. I would love to explore that topic with you. And I can't announce yet because it's just in the early stages, but I think I am locking down another speech in a very cool state, one of my favorite states ever, sometime in January. So once I get full details, we will talk about that here on the podcast. But Thank you to Lindy and her organization and Leadership Institute, where I used to work for sponsoring, and then the the YAF chapter, also Young America's Foundation. I know they uh, work with the student groups, the Young Americans for Freedom group. I actually got my start with that organization in politics over a decade ago, so it's good to see them carrying the torch with trying to talk about these unique subjects especially the intersection of political conservatism and conservation. So I hope to do more speeches relating to that. And I wanted to give them a shout out and thank them. And I know some of them may now be tuning to the podcast and listening. So you guys are appreciated. I really loved meeting you and talking to each of you and reveling in Virginia's election results with you as a result. So thank you for having me on campus. It was nice to not have to be subjected to mask mandates and other obtuse policy so that was kind of nice as well beautiful campus san antonio was great and uh, i hope to do more speeches like this virginia is going to be for gun lovers conservation (laughs) lovers and sound energy lovers again i'm so excited for that personally speaking And we began discussion of this by hosting Stephen Gutowski of The Reload to talk about how the gun vote really affected last week's results. I brought on Stephen Gutowski, who has appeared on the program several times. He's a longtime friend of mine. We both worked at Media Research Center way back in the day. He's one of the foremost firearms reporters in the United States. And I think he's the only person who dedicates this amount of time, especially through his new endeavor, The Reload, which is a phenomenal read. And I promised him I would soon subscribe. At, at some point, I will. Maybe I'll gift myself for Christmas a subs- paid subscription. But he has a great thing going. He has phenomenal reporting. And last week, we touched upon what Virginia's election results mean for gun owners. So if you have not heard that episode yet, go back to the most recent episode and listen to Stephen and I discuss. What the incoming Yunkin administration means for gun rights, and what also the new makeup of the Virginia General Assembly will do to peel back at some of the gun control that was passed in the two most recent sessions. So Virginia flipped to anti-gun majorities in two thousand nine in the ele- in two thousand nineteen in the elections. Then they assumed office in twenty twenty. So they have two sessions, General Assembly sessions, where they did put into effect some really bad pieces of gun control, namely revoking state preemption law, reinstituting a one handgun a month ban. Also, I believe some semblance of an extreme risk protection order or red flag law. Uh, I believe another universal background check on private sales, so to speak, and some other things that really erode the Second Amendment and would not do anything bonus to curb crime in this state. And Virginia has always been kind of the safest of the DC metro area because of the presence of legal firearms. You can, if you wanted to get a CHP, a concealed handgun permit in Arlington, if you wanted to, even in downtown Richmond, you can, you can get a permit. I have a permit here in my County in Fairfax County, and I live maybe 10 or so miles from Old Town Alexandria, give or take and I can conceal carry too. You can conceal carry regardless of where you live in Virginia. They haven't attacked that yet. They tried to way, way, way back in the day when Mark Herring put an edict to revoke reciprocity agreements with 25, 28, some odd different states. They have reinstituted that. And I discussed that at length in a few past episodes, but without going so much into the weeds of this, I think with guns, with conservation and with energy, we are going to see kind of some balance restored. I was not confident on the conservation portfolio issue of seeing anything under a hypothetical second term with McAuliffe. I have seen across different state legislatures, and I hate to paint it in this partisan lens. I really do. But anytime Democrats have retaken state legislatures, you kind of see a ushering in of anti-hunting legislation as a result too, because many new legislative representatives, especially those who are more progressively inclined, tend to not support hunting measures. And we're seeing in states like New Jersey, where you had the governor who just barely won re-election campaign on issues such as repealing a legally sound, scientifically sound black bear hunt. And New Jersey is now suffering as a result of that because they used faulty logic to justify the cancellation of the hunt, saying that the bear is imperiled. Black bears are not in the slightest extinct or imperiled or threatened or anything. Under the IUCN, they are some of the most healthy species in North America. Their status is not in jeopardy. So they used a lot of fear-mongering from Sierra Club, PETA, Humane Society, and other groups to cancel that. So had McAuliffe won and they would have maintained control of the General Assembly, I suspect they would have put into effect something to perhaps start the dissolution of hunting in Virginia, meaning uh, possibly adopting bans on predator contests, possibly bans on predator hunting writ large. I could have foreseen them doing something to stop black bear hunting if they wanted to. You give them the keys and a mandate to enact certain legislation, they will go full Monty. You can't underestimate these people, unfortunately. But we don't have to worry about Virginia's hunting heritage being in jeopardy. I think we could actually see an expansion. I'm not sure what Youngkin's administration is going to do with respect to DWR and also to the Department of Natural Resources, we have two conservation-related agencies, one that deals more directly with hunters and anglers, the other tackles kind of more granular, kind of big picture ideas with like Chesapeake Bay conservation and other related issues so we'll see probably them adopting or continuing a true conservation perspective. I'm not sure who's going to be appointed. I want to at some point if they're going to change leadership or what's going to happen, but I would love to sit down with some of those individuals from those two agencies and that's going to be my hope to get there. I to get their foresight into what is going to happen under Virginia f- continuing to attract more hunters and anglers under COVID amazingly, we didn't have too many opportunities shut down to hunting and fishing. I think you would have seen people revolt. <laughs> that been the case. And I'm not trying to exaggerate or to be hyperbolic, but this is a very outdoorsy state. And if hunters and anglers couldn't have gone outdoors, I think you would have had a lot of problems. So probably... Uh, Going into this young administration, we're going to see a push for more hunting, more fishing, probably a bigger emphasis to have sportsmen and women at the table. I can definitely foresee that when it comes to board of advisors, to different initiatives, probably collaborations to launch different projects. Also, and while Go- Governor Northam, the outgoing governor, did sign the elk tag into law, I could actually see. Yunkin and his administration elevating that even more definitely drawing more attention to it I recall from some of my initial reporting work into the elk tag there likely will be a tag set aside for the governor, what they're calling the governor's tag, hypothetically speaking. So if that does come to fruition, we could see Yunkin somehow play a role in that, his administration promoting the hunt in southwestern Virginia, possibly maybe the creation of some other governor's related hunt or maybe governor's fishing tournament or something of that nature. I haven't really seen that in Virginia. like Other states such as South Dakota, Minnesota, and others have governor's openers. But we don't really have that, so maybe we could see something of that effect. We'll see possibly more policy from the General Assembly promoting hunting and fishing. Like I said, I'm going to talk about Sunday hunting on public lands, which is a pretty bipartisan proposal, but maybe we'll see it pass in the new legislature or maybe before this legislature term ends or this, during special session, um, we're going to see possibly this past last minute, or we could see it carry out into the new session, the new General Assembly session going forward. But I, I'm, I'm optimistic. And when it comes to the energy front, we talked about this here on the podcast. I really am confident because Youngkin campaigned on this. And also he got personally burned by Dominion Energy. They put a target on his back by supporting a very shady political action committee that was trying to attack his campaign from the right, so to speak, and claim that he's insufficiently for the Second Amendment. And so that personally probably stung and stuck to him. And he also complained, rightfully so, about Dominion supporting and kind of cooperating on the passage of the Virginia Clean Economy Act, we as Virginia taxpayers and Virginia energy consumers are going to have to pay under the VCEA being ushered into law. The SEC, which is kind of a utility analyzer here, they're a great authority on numbers and, and impacts of different laws relating to energy costs and things of that sort. They approximated that upwards of eight we're going to be paying upwards of $800 a year additionally by 2030 if the Virginia Clean Economy Act is successfully implemented. So we will see kind of a peeling back of the VCEA. I wonder if we're going to see maybe the encouragement of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which really wasn't discussed about, but there is a pipeline I think almost completed to transport natural gas here in Virginia. They canceled the Atlantic Pipeline that was supposed to go into effect. And they canceled the project foreseeing that President Biden would come in and would probably legally challenge it, but they got Supreme Court approval to proceed with the Atlantic Coastal Pipeline construction. Stop that. I don't know if that project will be reintroduced, but we may see some pipeline talk. And I know that's controversial with some people in Virginia. We also will probably see... Maybe some industry brought back to kind of those energy-laden areas in southwestern Virginia, to coal country, to kind of those surrounding regions. Well drilling and coal are still very active there. Maybe we'll see more encouragement of nuclear energy, which produces about 30% of our electricity here in Virginia. Natural gas is still king. 60% of our electricity comes from natural gas production. So it would be ill-advised to move away from those two things. And we're going to see a tussling of kind of this traditional energy consumptive use versus these clean energies, which are still not even 10% of our electricity grid in Virginia. And the, I would say the tussling and the butting of heads with results of that, because of just the shortcomings that come with it, we're going to see battles over wind, solar in Virginia, and just them being propped up by government subsidies and if it's feasible and I wonder if we're going to hear more perspectives from Virginia Beach against offshore wind just because of how it'll interfere with fish migration patterns how tourists interests are not really happy to see that so we'll talk more about those conflicts and nuances but I'm optimistic about this administration kind of putting some balance back into the state capital to kind of peel away at some of the extreme policies and to give sportsmen and women a seat at the table, kind of like what we saw when the Trump administration was giving sportsmen and women a greater voice. So we will keep you guys updated. And I should be sitting down with Governor-elect Youngkin and maybe his running mates sometime in the near future. They've promised me some interviews. We're letting them kind of revel in their celebrations and their victories, but I have been in talks with them. So if you hear something from me, including an interview, don't be surprised. It should be exciting. I really want to get his ear on these issues and kind of hear what his vision is for Virginians in the conservation and energy space. I will conclude today's episode with this discussion about Sunday hunting in Virginia with respect to public lands. I'm reading from my friend and past guest of the show, Ken Peratt, who has a great article, and I'm also going to cite the Delta Waterfall piece on this as well, very pertinent to this discussion. So Ken had written a piece in the Fredericksburg Freelance Star about the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources Board signaling support for Sunday hunting on public lands, He says that they signaled strong support for Sunday hunting on public land, unanimously passing a resolution at last week's meeting, and this was the week preceding election week. Sunday hunting on private land was approved in 2014 after years of acrimonious debate. Still banned, though, was most hunting on public lands, including the nearly quarter million acres of land on state wildlife management areas, land paid for and maintained largely with revenues from hunting licenses and excise taxes from sales of hunting-related gear. Paradoxically, the 2014 change allowed Sunday hunting for ducks and geese on public waterways. In 2018, Sunday hunting for raccoons was approved. The existing broader ban keeps people off of 1.6 million acres of Jefferson, Washington Jefferson National Forest land. Oh my God, I didn't know the extent. This is egregious. 26 state forests totaling 71,972 acres and Virginia's military installations. John from Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, who is their southeastern state's assistant director, and I believe he's based in Richmond, outlined at the board meeting the case for full Sunday hunting, underscoring that hunters are taxpayers who purchase national forests and state forest permit lands. Opening public lands will increase pu- access and opportunity for youth, families, and hardworking adults with limited opportunities, he said. It also supports hunter recruitment, retention, and reactivation efforts. Many hunters, including many novices, can only hunt on weekends and don't have access to private lands. That is true. I believe in Virginia this this is an addendum. We have about 16% of public lands for available for hunting. We actually have a lot more public waterways available for fishing and hunting opportunities, but public land is scarce here. He also adds that nearly 40% of hunters pursue game species on public lands, according to DWR, and they are frozen out of Sundays, losing 50% of their season. And this is largely championed by Virginia delegate James Edmonds. So we will see what happens with respect to that. And also Delta Waterfall echoed this as well, and Cyrus Baird who has been kind of pointing this my way, making sure that I'm aware of this. He has commented on this on behalf of Delta Waterfall. And Cyrus is quoted as saying on Delta Waterfall's website as this, we are hopeful that another bipartisan pro Sunday hunting bill is introduced when the next session opens in January, because this resolution gives us real momentum said Cyrus Baird, senior director of governmental affairs at Delta Waterfall with a support of Virginia DWR and a passionate legion of Delta members behind us. This presents a wonderful opportunity to fully open Sunday Hunting to Virginians once and for all. End quote. That would be nice to see. Okay, so it will begin next session. I made a correction there. It won't begin now because they're not in session. They they are in session for even in odd days or even in odd years. Forty five days, sixty days. I forget the exact uh, correlation between that, but I will clarify on that. But Virginia has one of the shortest legislative sessions. And then if things are not resolved or rectified under regular session, they have special session invoked. So we will likely see this if it is embraced and with definitely change in the makeup in the General Assembly if this does get some movement because this would be nice to see especially since hunters and anglers, especially hunters pay. And like I said, we saw a lot of people go into the field here in Virginia under COVID and the pandemic. And it would be such a wasted opportunity to not allow for this and for people to have continued shutout on millions of acres on public lands and also on state forest and national forest lands. This is egregious. We're not in the 1800s People hunting on Sundays is not going to interfere with people going to church. That's a reason for people's objection to this. Certain groups are saying, well, it takes people away from church. No, it does. You can go hunting and go to church on Sundays. It's not impossible to do that. So, this will take Virginia out of the past and finally move it into the future. So that's what I said about kind of optimism with this new administration. Maybe there's some fervor to finally pass it. I hope so. This would be great for all hunters here in Virginia, and we will keep you abreast with that if that makes any movement. And I'll have Cyrus come on maybe at the beginning of the year to talk about this, especially if it starts to get some traction. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds, all of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me, so engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests and my schedule is also quite busy. So you'll see guests come from me. And I'm but like I said, I'm always open to different guests coming on the show. Thanks for listening.